0: I started a sermon series a few weeks ago. This is our sixth Sunday in the sermon series called Living in Babylon. Today will be my last Sunday in this sermon series. Next week, we can start with Christmas and the holidays, etc. And uh, so today will be my last sermon in the sermon series. Now, I'm going to warn you that I'm going to go over a little bit in our time. I don't, need to be, I don't want to belabor you. But I want to finish my sermon today, so I'm just warning you. We're going to go over just a little bit. And, uh, and I appreciate you res- uh, being respectful of that. Now, I started a sermon series called Living in Babylon. And the, 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 the gist of the sermon was we're living in a culture. Babylon is a culture that has become godless and pagan. Daniel lived in Babylon as a righteous man. And my point was, was that you as a Christian can live in Babylon as a righteous person. No matter how corrupt the society may be, no matter what's going on in the society, you can live a life that pleases God in Babylon. Can I hear an amen? And we've dealt with some issues in Babylon. Babylon, a pagan environment, a godless environment, an environment that's non-Christian. And we have dealt with issues in Babylon. What is some of the issues? And one of the issues that I dealt with starting last week, and I encourage you, I cannot review much today. If you want to listen to part one of what I started, please go back and listen to the sermon series from last Sunday. That will catch you up. But it's impossible for me to review everything today. For the sake of time, I cannot do that. So you need to go back and listen to the sermon from last Sunday. But one of the issues that I dealt with was the LGBTQ Uh, plus community. And I want to uh, continue my sermon on living in Babylon, the LGBTQ plus, the truth about the LGBTQ plus community. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to open our ears and our hearts to hear your word. And I pray that your word will go forth in power and in boldness. And all the church said a great big amen. Now, my friends, I realize that this is a sensitive issue. The issue of homosexuality is very sensitive, not only in our culture, but also in the church. It has become very sensitive. And as a preacher, as a man of God, and as a pastor, I in no means am trying to be, get up here and promote hate speech. My heart is for people. I love people. I love people. And it doesn't matter what sin they may be involved in or what sin they may be wrestling with. I simply love people because that is the gospel. Jesus loves all people. My sermon is not intended to be hate speech whatsoever. My sermon is to be a biblical lesson on today's society. We are Christians, and we follow a book called the Bible. If you were a Muslim, you would go to the mosque and follow the book called Quran. If you was a Mormon, you would follow the book called the Book of Mormon. If you're a Hindu, you would follow their teachings. We are Christians. We are called to submit to our holy book called the Bible. And today, my sermon comes from my heart, because I sincerely love people. Homosexuality is not only a theological issue in today's society. Like I said last week, it has become a political agenda in our society. They are forcing us to celebrate it. They are forcing us to make it a civil issue. I know that people can live whatever lives they choose to live. I understand that but it becomes a problem in our culture when the agenda is being pushed down our throat and we have to celebrate the things which God says is sin. The culture has said you're either for it or you're against it. In other words, affirmation or alienation. From the media to education, the message is clear that homosexuality is normal, it is good, and it must be celebrated. The culture says today that if you don't celebrate it, then it's an automatic indictment against your ability to love and to accept people who are different from you. In fact, they push the envelope and say it this way, if you don't celebrate it, you become intolerant, you are a racist, and you are hate-filled. Celebration of traditional marriage between one man and one woman is almost a thing of the past. And you are considered closed-minded and outdated if you celebrate that. The same community that raises the flag of tolerance does not accept tolerance for anyone that disagrees with them. And that's my problem. Degrading homosexuality as anything as beautiful and mutual acceptance and mutual love between two people of the same sex is something that Jesus would have endorsed. That's what they're propagating. And my friends, I realize that there's a lot of tension over this issue. There's lots of emotions over this issue because a lot of our family members are involved in it. A lot of the people that we work with are involved in that lifestyle. There are parents who love their children deeply. They're lost and they don't know how to deal with their children involved in that lifestyle. I mean, there's questions even in the church. Am I born gay? Why do I have these feelings? Ever since I was a child, I felt as though I was attracted to the same sex. Preacher, how do you answer those questions? How can something be so wrong when it feels so right? What is wrong with me loving somebody of the same sex? I'm not hurting anybody, what is wrong with that? And my friends, those are legitimate questions. And I know that those questions come from a heart that is concerned. Some of the most wonderful people I've ever met is gay people, people that live in that lifestyle. They're good-hearted, loving people that want to live a life where they feel loved and accepted. And I understand that. And these are questions as a church in the modern day century that you and I live in. In 2023, we have to engage the culture and we've got to answer these questions because if we don't answer these questions, Babylon, the false culture will answer these questions. And I believe that if anybody has the answer, the Church of Jesus Christ should have the answer. I must confess that the church has not always been right has not hasn't always dealt with it rightly. The church has maybe dealt with this issue wrongly. We we don't know how to answer it. Sometimes we've had hate speech Sometimes we just dismissed people. Sometimes we just taken the microphone and said, you're going to hell. We we, we didn't know how to be sympathetic and empathetic with people's hearts and feelings and try to answer people's questions and try to navigate with people through their struggle. And yes, the scriptures are true. And yes, there is truth in the scriptures. But as people of God, we've got to learn how to walk with people in their struggles. We've got to learn how to walk with people with grace and mercy and truth. Let's be a church. Let's be a hospital room, not a a job interview. What happens at a job interview? You bring your very, very, very best. You bring your very best face. You bring your very, very best game because you want the job. And sometimes in the church, that's how we act. We come to church with our very best face on. How are you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. Nobody struggles. Nobody's having a bad day. But let's view the church as a hospital room. Because if you're sitting in a hospital room, you assume that everybody's in the waiting room is sick. Or if they're in the hospital room, they're sick. Let's view the church as a hospital. Let's view the church as a waiting room. Every one of us has issues. Every one of us is broken. Every one of us is flawed. Every one of us is messed up. Well, at least I'm messed up. What about you all? Everybody is messed up. So what does the Bible say about homosexuality? The Bible says that the practice of homosexuality is sinful. Now, same-sex attraction is not sinful. You can be attracted to the same sex and still not sin. It is the practice of homosexual sex that is condemned in Scripture. It is not same-sex attraction. You can be, listen, you can have a gravitation towards the same sex and still not participate in homosexuality. You can gravitate to eat three pies. You can have a bad day and want to hit somebody. You can be gravitated to jack somebody's jaws, but that doesn't mean you sinned. It's the practice of homosexuality that is sinful. Nowhere in scripture does the Bible ever promote homosexuality. There are six scriptures in the Bible, and none of them speak of homosexuality as favorable or positive. I promise you, read the Bible. It does not speak of that. It doesn't speak it favorably, and it doesn't speak it in a positive light. Christian leaders are disagreeing on this. There are churches that are, that are separating over this. And I know some of you may say, well, some of the churches think it's okay. But let me, let me remind you something very, very, very briefly. That in the Bible, there is a true church And in the Bible, there is a false church. The false church is called the apostate church, the church that left the truth. And there is the real church that follows the scriptures and follow Jesus' teaching. There's always gonna be a counterfeit for the thing that is real. There is a real church and there is a false church, and that's what's happening in our society. And just because the church is ordaining it, and just because the church says it's okay, doesn't mean it's acceptable, because in the Bible, there is a false church. Listen to pastor, for the last 2,000 years, church history, early church fathers have understood the issue clear, and that is this, homosexuality is sinful. Nowhere in the early church fathers did anybody ever endorse it. For 2,000 years, the message was clear. The only time it's been an issue is now in the church. It's always, it's never been, it's it's been an issue in the church, but the church has been clear about it that it's sinful for the last 2,000 years. See, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, the church at Thyatira, God, Jesus Christ, was walking among the candlesticks, and what did Jesus do? He rebuked the church at the church of Thyatira because they were promoting sexual immorality, and not only were they promoting sexual immorality, they were celebrating teachers who taught that sexual immorality was okay. And that's where we're at. Jesus Christ is walking among the candlesticks, the Candlesticks is the church, and the enemy is out to blow the flame of passion and the fervency of the scriptures out of our lives, and he is out, come on somebody, he is out to destroy the church. For the last 2,000 years, the church has understood it to be clear. To some people, their mind is made up. Nothing that I could say today is going to make a difference. But I want to challenge you today to think what it means that Jesus is Lord. If you are a Christian, I want you to just don't close me off. Some of you are getting ready to walk out and say, well, I don't want to hear this. This is hate speech. Well, if you are the type of person that thinks everything that disagrees with you is hate speech, then you have a very small mind. Some of you can't consider it right now and I, I understand that. Some of you may have a hard time with it and I understand that, believe me. I, I, I understand that maybe you're not there but I do want to say this, I'm grateful you're here. You made the first step. Thank you for being here. You may not be on the same level with everybody this morning. And I understand that. Maybe you're not there. Maybe you're not there emotionally to comprehend this and as a pastor, I love you. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to wrestle with things. It's okay to ask questions. But what I'm at least asking you is to have a critical mind. There is a difference between a critical mind and a critical spirit. A critical spirit is demeaning. But a critical mind is open to objective truth. They can look at both sides and then come to a decision. If today, if you're wrestling and you're like, Pastor, I don't see where it's sinful, then what I am asking you today is at least hear me and go home and pray about it and have a critical mind and think about both sides and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into truth. Because I believe the Holy Spirit is always in agreement with the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit will always agree with the written word. Can I hear an amen? Last week, number one, last week I said this. I cannot nor can I apologize for what the Bible teaches. I can't do that. I can't apologize for what the Bible teaches. And number two, I said I cannot rewrite the Bible to accommodate a society that needs to hear the Bible. So I can't rewrite the Bible, my friends. Number three, I also said that love has very little to do with your feelings. Love is more than feelings. You know, we live in a culture where everybody says, boy, I just feel loved. I just feel loved. Listen, there are times that you won't feel loved. Sometimes you won't have the goosebumps and the butterflies in your stomach. Love is more than a feeling, my friends. And number four, I stopped with this last week. Number four, I can't impose a Christian worldview on someone if they don't have a foundation to understand it. Now let me explain that to you. If I'm going to talk to somebody about homosexuality, I don't bring up the Bible. Because I don't know their view about homosexuality. I don't know what they they, they think about homosexuality. They could be a non-Christian They don't know anything about the Bible. They wasn't raised in church. They don't care anything about what the Bible says. Now, why in the world would I go to them and argue with them about the subject of homosexuality if they don't even care what the Bible says? And that's what's happened in the church. We're trying to argue with a culture that don't care what the Bible says. So today, my friends, I am not, listen to pastor, I am not dealing with people this morning that don't have an appreciation with the Bible. I'm dealing with Christians. This is where I'm dealing with. I am dealing with the church world and Christians who go to church and sit in church pews Sunday after Sunday, and they say that the practice of homosexuality is okay. That's who I'm dealing with. I am not dealing with Joe and Sally on the streets of New York today that don't care anything about the Bible. If I'm going to argue with them about homosexuality, I got to start from a different viewpoint. I got to argue it from a different viewpoint. I can't argue it from the Bible because the Bible is not their worldview and they don't care what the Bible says. And the Christianity has gotten a bad name is because we're trying to argue with people about what the Bible says and they don't care what the Bible says. So we got to learn how to have a critical mind and learn how to argue things from a different point of view. And as a pastor, I'm arguing homosexuality from the scriptures if you claim to be a Christian, if you're interested in being a Christian, if you attend a church. These are the people that I am talking to. Can I hear an amen? Number five. This isn't about winning an argument. This is about eternity. This is not about a Republican, and this is not supporting a Democrat. If you think that that's what I'm trying to do, then you've missed my point. This is not about Republican. This is not about a Democrat. This is about right and wrong. This is about truth and error. This is about the gospel. This is, this, we're not against people. We're not against them. It's not us against them. It's not about winning election. it's not about doing what I don't like or or you doing what I don't like. It's not about that it's about eternity because if we are Christians and we really believe the Bible, then the Bible states that every one of us will stand before God and every one of us will give an account to God about our life and if we really believe the Bible, the Bible states that God is not only a father but God is a judge and he will judge every one of us on judgment day. It is not about winning an argument. It is about the eternal destination of men and women in eternity. This is what it's about. Because the moment that you take your last breath, there's no one to pray you out of eternity. So that is why I am standing up here and I'm saying with the pastor's heart, I love you. I am not against you. I am for you. I want you. I want you to be loved. I want you to be accepted. But I want you to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because he, only he, can save you in the end. It doesn't matter if you disagree with me. What you have to come to the grips with is that you're going to have to stand before God. And if the Bible is true, then you got to wrestle with these issues. Maybe you are acting as if you're God, and you have asserted your will over the will of the Scriptures. Four, Four arguments that's made against conservative Christianity. Four arguments that's made against conservative Christianity four arguments. I'm going to deal with them very briefly today. Number one, the argument of homosexuality or those in that community will say to us, it's okay because number one, Jesus never addressed homosexuality. Jesus never talked about it. And if Jesus never talked about it, then guess what? It's okay. These are arguments against conservative Christianity. Number two, Paul didn't understand loving relationships. In other words, Paul didn't understand sexual orientation. He didn't understand what it meant that two people that were adults that loved each other, he didn't understand that concept. Number three, the main message of Christianity is love. That's what it's all about. Who wrote the song? I think, what's love got to do with it? Tina Turner! Boy, bless God, you didn't know that Tina Turner was a theologian. What's love got to do with it? And number four, you can't just pick and choose. These are the four arguments. Are you ready? Number one, the first argument, Jesus never addressed homosexuality. Now, this argument states that Jesus never mentioned homosexuality, and since Jesus never mentioned it, it must be okay. Now, very briefly, on your paper, the first argument, number one. On your paper, number one, Jesus never addressed homosexuality. There are four arguments. This is the first argument, and we're going to dissect each of these arguments. Number one, Jesus never addressed homosexuality. Now let me say this about this, this argument. First, Jesus did not need to say anything about homosexuality because no first century Jew would have questioned whether homosexual sex was morally permissible. That's because every Old Testament reference, poem, and metaphor that addresses sex was always between a husband and a wife in marriage, heterosexual sex. So therefore, every Jew would have condemned homosexuality because the Torah taught that marriage was between one man and one woman. So there was no debate about the biblical witness of what God would approved or disapproved, because no Orthodox Jew would have ever approved of it. Number one. Number two, in the same argument. Secondly, it turns out that Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. He never said anything, pastor, so that means it's OK. Well, let me push the envelope and say this: Jesus' silence on the matter doesn't mean he approved of it. That would be an argument from silence. And that type of faulty reasoning is not valid. Besides, Jesus never spoke about every immoral behavior. Did Jesus speak of rape? Did Jesus speak of child molestation? Did Jesus speak of abortion? Did Jesus speak of bestiality? Did Jesus speak about neglecting your elderly parents in their old age and abusing them? Jesus never spoke about every moral behavior. So just because Jesus specifically did not mention homosexuality does not mean he approved. Also, saying that Jesus never said anything about homosexuality, you're presuming that the words of Jesus is more authoritative than the rest of the Bible. So when you make the argument that Jesus never said anything about homosexuality what you're actually saying is that the words of Jesus is more authoritative than what Paul said in the New Testament or what Moses said in the Old Testament. If you are a Christian, then we believe that the Bible is all inspired. That means every book is inspired and every book is true. The words of Jesus is not more elevated and more important than the rest of the Bible because all of the Bible is inspired according to the book of 1 Timothy. Lastly, when we say that Jesus basically didn't mention anything about homosexuality, I would say this, I think he did. Jesus did not mention it specifically, but he included it. For instance, if I got up here and said, uh, every one of you, I'm going to give you $100 after church, every one of you, meet me in the foyer. Everybody would go to the foyer, and i would be standing there shaking hands, giving $100 bills out. Pastor Brandon comes up to me and says, Pastor, I am upset. Because you never mentioned my name. I look at Pastor Brandon and say, Pastor Brandon, I didn't mention you specifically, but I included you. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't mention the word homosexuality, but he included it. For instance, the Bible says in Mark chapter number 7, Whatever the scripture that that we have. Mark chapter number 7, verse number 20, verse 23. Jesus alludes to this often in his teaching. I'm just going to read one scripture. The Bible says in Matthew, uh, Mark 7, verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a man, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? Verse number 21. For within, out of the heart of man proceeds thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders. Verse number 22. Thefts, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, blaspheming, pride, foolishness. Verse 23, Jesus saying, all these things come out of a man. And these evil things come from within that defile a man. Do you see what Jesus said? Fornication. The word fornication is the Greek word pornea, which is pornography, which includes bestiality, incest, rape, and homosexuality. In other words, Jesus included it in his teaching that these people who participate in this, it comes up out in them. It's inside of them. It comes out of them. And lastly, Jesus affirmed that the covenant union of man and wife was the normative expression of human sexuality in Genesis chapter two, the law of first mention. He made man and he made woman and he put them together. And my friends, they have body parts that go together, which illustrates the normative expression of humanity that these two halves come together and make one. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 19 and verse number four, Matthew chapter nine, verse number four, have you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. In other words, don't let this society separate what God is trying to do. And that's what this Babylonian culture is trying to do. Trying to put new pronouns and trying to a new definition of what a man is and a new definition of what a woman is. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to separate what God has put together. My friends, if God put it together, can't no culture ever separate what God has deemed blessed and holy. Marriage unites the two correspondent halves of humanity. The way that God created humanity fits together. Number two. So we looked at Jesus never addressed homosexuality. Jesus did. Number two. The second argument that they use against us is this. Well, Paul didn't understand loving relationships. Now this argument states this. That Paul didn't understand sexual orientation. He didn't understand two loving people being committed in a relationship. What Paul was really talking about was rape and incest, male and boy sex, and temple prostitution. He wasn't meaning two adults living together. He was meaning rape and incest and molestation. Okay, let's look at it. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Look at what the Bible says very closely. You ready? Look at it. Romans 1, verse 18, and I quote, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. since." What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to God, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relation for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust with one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Do you see what Paul was saying here? Paul is speaking to the Gentile world. Who is a Gentile, a non-Jewish person? You, you're a Gentile. He's speaking to non-Jews, and he's saying, listen, you have suppressed the truth. You've walked away from the truth. Look at what he says, verse number 18, Romans 1.18. I want you to walk with me in the text. Romans 1.18, they suppress the truth. These people walked away from the truth. Verse number 21, their thinking became fruitful and, and their hearts were darkened. So not only did they suppress the truth, their hearts became darkened. Verse number 22, Romans 1, 22, they claim to be wise, but really they're fools. Verse number 24, God gave them up to their sinful desires. Verse number 25, they exchange the truth about God for a lie. Verse number 26, God gave them over to shameful lust. Verse number 26, even women exchanged their natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Verse number 27, in the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust with one another. Verse number 27, men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves a due penalty for their error. Do you see what happens here? These people suppress the truth. They didn't want to follow truth. They didn't want to walk truth. They didn't want to know truth. They didn't want to hear about truth. And they thought they were wise, but Paul says they're really fools. They think they're wise, but they're fools. And you know what God did? God said, well, since you think you're wise and you think you got it all together, I'm just going to let you do what you want to do. And this is what happens, my friends, when people get into sin, one of the very first things that happens is sexual immorality. How do I know that? It's throughout the Bible. Genesis chapter number two and Genesis chapter number three, God creates the world. He creates mankind. He gives them dominion. They fall into sin. And what happens? Genesis chapter six, sexual perversion. Sexual perversion. Notice what the text is saying here. Number one, now walk with me. This is what Paul is actually saying. For someone to say that Paul didn't understand. Paul, what Paul really means is molestation. Male and boy relationship, incest or temple prostitution. Paul did not mean two grown men or two grown women living together. He didn't understand that, so it's okay. Because Paul didn't understand that. He didn't understand sexual orientation. Well, look what the scripture says. A, Paul condemns sexual relations between male and male in parallel to sexual relations between female and female. Do you notice what the scripture says? Paul not only condemned men having sex with men, but he condemned women to have sex with women. So he's not talking about molestation. He's not talking about incest. He's talking about two grown adults here because he's paralleling it with women and men. B, Paul is not speaking of men and boys since he's using the language that conveys mutual agreement. The scripture says shameful acts with other men. That's mutual agreement. Lust for one another. That's mutual agreement. He did not say men and boys But he said, men with men. C, the error is mutual, so is the recompense. The scripture says they received in themselves the due penalty for their error. In other words, the fault is mutual, and so is the payment. The recompense is mutual. D, the idea of exchanged or, quote, abandoned their natural function, suggest that the adult sexual relations were intended. Do you see what happens here? The phrase in scripture, they exchanged, they abandoned, suggest adult sexual relations were intended. E, if the model of homosexuality makes a difference regarding the acceptability, then why is the scripture silent on the matter? If if it was okay, if Paul really meant it's okay for two men to have sex and two women to have sex, and Paul was against incest and child molestation, that's what he really meant, then why didn't Paul spell that out? If that's what he truly meant. The pillar New Testament commentary, my favorite commentary, said this in page 110 in that quote. Paul probably did not know at least, Paul probably did know at least several different types of homosexual practices uh, both uh, among both men and women. He used general language in Romans chapter 1 because he intended his proscription to apply to a general way to all homosexual behavior as he understood it. Page 110. Page 111 in the New Testament commentary, Paul's letter to the Romans, they the commentary further said this, the majority of modern interpreters of Paul, however, agree that the plain language of chapter one, verse 26 through 27 involves condemnation of all homosexual practice. So what is the point? The point is this, seek no other sense when it's plain sense. In other words, it's, it's plain. Why are we trying to read into the text something that it doesn't say? Seek no other sense when it's plain sense. I wanna say this, it makes no difference to Paul if somebody felt a certain way. If somebody felt as though they were attracted to men or they were attracted to women, it made no difference to Paul. Paul is making a general statement that homosexual sex, the act of sex between two adults, male, or whether it's female or male, two consenting adults coming together of the same sex, that homosexual sex is condemned. Why is it condemned, my friends? Because it's not natural. He made man and woman and their body parts fit together. It's unnatural for this to happen. All of our desires are warped because of our fallen nature. Desires for, desire for things that God has forbidden is in each of us. Every one of you have desires in you that is forbidden by God. And just because you have those desires doesn't give you the right to act upon them. Some of you have had thoughts in your mind that you would never share with your spouse or your closest friend. Because you know you would never act upon those thoughts. Well, just because you have those thoughts and have those desires doesn't give you a license to act upon them. Because the scripture tells us that each of us have desires on the inside of us that are contrary to God and contrary to his word. The Bible tells us that the deeper that we get into sin, the deeper we get into foolishness and confusion. The deeper we get into sin, the deeper we get into foolishness and confusion. Can I hear an amen? I know I'm, I'm giving you a lot of information here, but can somebody track with me and say amen? When we get into, the deeper we get into sin, the deeper we get into confusion and foolishness. Now what about this scripture? First 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 9, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, look at what the scripture says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will never inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, drunkenness. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God and such were some of you. But you were washed and you were sanctified in the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of God. Do you see what Paul says here? He says, there are some of you in the midst that are homosexuals and sodomites. Now look at those two words in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. He he makes a point to point out two different types of homosexual practice. The first word he uses in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, he uses the word homosexual. And that is the Greek word, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it, Uh, It's M-A-L-A-K-O-I, all right? That's the Greek word for it. It means passive, effeminate. The other word is sodomite, and that's the Greek word that starts with an A, and it means male bed, which means active. So what is Paul trying to say here? Paul is saying that in this particular scripture, there are people who in the relationship is acting as though they are effeminate. They are the They are the receiver. They're passive. And then there's a sodomite that does the active part. And hopefully you can read between the lines here. One is passive and one is active. In In the homosexual practice, Paul was saying this. It doesn't matter whether you are inclined to a person or not. He is saying These people who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They are not, they will, they won't inherit it. But I love this scripture because Paul gives us hope here. You know what he says here? I love this scripture. Go back to that scripture. First Corinthians six and verse number nine, but he says, but some, but such were some of you, but such were some of you, but such were some of you, you are washed And you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are you saying, Pastor Josh? I am saying that Paul said right in the church, some people were committing this, but you don't have to worry about it because God has forgiven you, he has washed you, he has cleansed you, he has justified you, he has sanctified you. I want to let y'all know, my God, I'm about ready to run around this building. I want to let you know that no sin can keep you from the grace of almighty God. I'm telling you that God still justifies, sanctifies even this, even the homosexual and the prostitute and the adulterer and the gossiper. Come on somebody. It doesn't matter what sin it is. His grace is still sufficient. He says, we're some of you. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying the biblical sexual ethic of the new Testament is this, that from the beginning, God made man and woman and he gave them a sex drive. That sex drive was to bring them together so that they may procreate the earth. That was God's plan. You say, well, pastor, but I feel as though I'm inclined to a person. If you define marriage based upon your orientation, then you must include other things. Because get this, you're not just oriented to one person. You can find other people attractive. Everyone in here can find somebody else attractive in life. So if finding, if you're a male and you find another male attractive and that automatically makes you a homosexual and you're going to bless gay marriages, then let's flip the coin. If, I, if you're a male and you find another female attractive, does that make you a polygamist? My point is this, is that sexual orientation has nothing to do with what God is trying to say here. God says it's sinful. Whether you have those feelings or not. You say, well, why do I have these feelings? Let me tell you something, church. I am not trying to make your life difficult. I'm not trying to up here to put a burden on you, say, well, how can I live this life if I can't have a companion? I am speaking this from a pastor's perspective and a Bible perspective. If you want to follow Jesus, then you got to do it Jesus' way. That, that, that's, if you want to follow Jesus, you got to do it Jesus' way. Now, if you don't want to follow Jesus, then that's fine. you you got to find your own path. And if you don't believe Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, that's fine. But you can't come in the church and make up your own rules and make up what you want to how you think it should. No, 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 no. If you come into the church, there is a right way and a wrong way and a book to be followed. Well, pastor, don't you think it's kind of hard? Let me put you, let me send you down to the mosque and let's, let's see how the Muslims deal with it. Ain't nobody going to stand up in the mosque to tell them, I don't like what the book said. Because you know what they do? But in Christianity, we're we're this. Well, it feels good. It must be right. It tastes good and feels good. Oh, it it must be God. Pentecostals are the worst at it because we base everything on feeling. Well, it feels good. Well, we had a good church service because I felt the goosebumps. A good church service has nothing to do with the way you feel. A good church service is a question. Was God honored this morning? Was his word preached this morning? Whether I liked it or not. You ask somebody, did you like church today? Well, I don't know. The music was loud. Well, we're not singing to you. You're not God. When you become God, you let me know the songs you like and we'll sing them all to you. Some of us have more of a, an American mindset than we have a biblical mindset. Boy, my gosh. Number three, well, the message of Christianity is love, 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 love. Let's just love everybody. Let's love everybody. Well, let me say this. God is love, but God doesn't love everything. Love doesn't overlook sin. Love is grounded in truth. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 9, "And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment." So love has discernment. Love has knowledge. 1 Corinthians 13. This is what God says love is. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. So what is love? Love Rejoices in truth. It it doesn't rejoice in evil. It rejoices in truth. Love hates evil. Psalm 97 verse 10. Let those who love the Lord hate evil. For he guards the life of the faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Romans chapter 12 verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. What are you saying pastor? Over and over. The scripture is telling us what love is and your definition of love is not the right definition of love. It's an American mindset, not a biblical mindset. In today's society, if something doesn't work, we don't love somebody, we leave them. We throw the word love around. Well, I love ice cream. And at the same breath, we tell someone we love them. We don't know what love is. God's definition of love has nothing to do with sex. Sex. You can love somebody very, very deeply and not have a desire to have sex with them. Biblical speaking, love can exist in evil. When true love is present, it doesn't rejoice in evil. It doesn't rejoice in corruption. It doesn't rejoice in something that God says that he doesn't like. If you have a relationship with Jesus and the Holy Ghost lives on the inside of you, my friends, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth and he leads you in all truth and he teaches you to love correctly. That's why I preach up here, that's why we need to get a bunch of men in this church to love God and lead their families. Because when you start to love God right, you love your spouse right. God teaches us to love. God is love, but he doesn't love everything. Love is simply obedience. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Love can't be about sexual preference, it's about biblical obedience. Obedience is love answering to love. Lust is pleasure focused. Love is person focused. Lust is passion outside of principles. But love is passion within principles. What are you saying, Pastor? I am saying this, that maybe your definition of love is not right. Because love has nothing to do with sex. Love is obedience. Love rejoices in truth. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Love follows truth. Love follows knowledge. Love follows discernment. You see, my friends, the Bible says in Ezekiel 3, verse 18, if I warn the wicked, saying you are under the penalty of death, but fail to deliver you the warning, and they die in their sins, I will hold you responsible for their deaths. What what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this. Listen to my heart. I love you. I don't care if you're a homosexual. I don't care if you have same-sex attraction. I still want you to come to church. I want you to come every time the doors are open, because I believe that the church is the best place to be for anyone. It doesn't matter what you struggle and how long you struggle. I don't care if you disagree with me. Just come to church because it's the great hospital of the ages. (laughs) Hallelujah. I'm not trying to shut the doors. I'm not trying to tell people they can't come. I want you to come because it's a place where we can struggle together. It's a place where we can cry together. It's a place that we can put our arms around each other and say, Pastor, I don't know what to do with this struggle. I've struggled with it for so long. I've cried over it. I've prayed over it. I don't know what to do. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come along with you and say, I don't understand everything about your struggle, but I'm going to walk with you through the fire. I'm going to walk with you through the lion's den. I'm going to hook up with you. I'm going to be the best prayer partner you've ever had. I'm going to see you through this thing. I want you to come as you are. But if you will commit yourself to discipleship and commitment and growth, you won't stay where you are. The problem is, is that we want to come to church and shout on Sundays, but few of us want to be discipled. We don't want to make the commitment. We don't want to have somebody keep us accountable. We don't know what it means to be discipled. We think we know what it means. But if you commit yourself to the church and you commit yourself to Bible study and a mentorship and somebody helping you and walking with you, listen, you can come as you are, but I promise you, the Holy Spirit inside of you won't keep you as you are. It's what we call growth. Lastly, in closing, the argument is where you just pick and choose. You pick out those six scriptures. Well, those six scriptures are inspired. You pick and choose. Genesis chapter 19, verse 4. Sodom and Gomorrah. They retired for the evening. And the men of Sodom, young and old, came all over the city and surrounded the house. And they shouted out to Lot, Where are the men? Let them come out. Bring them with you. Bring them out so we can have sex with you. The argument is, well, the book of... I think it's... uh. Ezra, I don't know if it's Ez- Ezekiel, says the reason that the city was destroyed was because of their non-hospitality spirit that they had. Well, the problem is, is that that's poetry. And you've got to understand when this text is talking literal and telling a story, and in this story, it's talking about men knocking on the door of Lot's house, demanding to have sex with these other men. He forbid... He, said, my Lord, God, he said, don't do this. The Bible says, God rained down fire and brimstone from heaven. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. The scripture says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman, for this is an abomination. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If a man lays with a man as he lays with a woman, both of them have committed an Abomination. Those who argue this say, well, this is, this is, this, these scriptures are in the midst of dietary laws, scriptures that forbid mixed fibers. So, so, so what they'll say is you're picking and choosing because these scriptures are intermingled with diet laws and mixed fiber laws that none of us follow. And I agree. But what you have to understand is that in the Old, Old Testament, there's different types of laws. There is the moral law, And there is the ceremonial law. There's the civic law. These different laws pertain to different things in the scriptures. The ceremonial law of the Israelites was a picture of something to come. The Lamb of God, the Lamb that they sacrificed and put the blood on the, the, the mercy seat, that was a picture of a person to come. And Christ came and fulfilled the ceremonial law. But the moral law that deals with sexuality and sex was not done away with because Jesus echoed those same words in his teachings that I just read to you in Mark chapter number 7. So therefore, the moral law was not done away with. Some things was an abomination to Israel and some was an abomination to God. This here was an abomination to God, not just to Israel. So yes, I can pick and choose, because it's called the practice of hermeneutics, interpretation of scripture. So we can pick and choose based upon the context of the scriptures. It's called the practice or the science of hermeneutics. Pastor, what do I do if this is me? Okay, pastor, I heard your passionate preaching. Now I passionately preach every week. If you're, if you're new today and say, Pastor, why are you preaching on this? I didn't pick this subject because you're here. I've, I've had this pick for months. I get excited about the Bible every week. Not just I'm not I'm excited every week because I believe the Bible. It's changed my life. But I also believe that we we all struggle. And I believe that's what's so awesome about the Bible is because the Bible deals with a bunch of messed up people. That's what's awesome about it. So what, what do I do if this is me? Isaiah 66 verse 2 says this, Has not my hand made all things? So all these came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones that I look on favor, that I have a humble and contrite heart, and that they tremble at my word. You see, if you've decided to follow Jesus, I can't get up here and give you a bed of roses and tell you it's going to be a bed of roses. Sometimes it's going to be hard. The call to follow Jesus requires sacrifice. The call to follow Jesus requires commitment. That's something that some of us have a very hard time dealing with. Church attendance is not high on your radar. Bible reading, Bible study, praying. Just church is a religious thing we do. And that's hard for us to comprehend that. Truly following Jesus demands sacrifice and obedience. It's not easy all the time. And I'm asking you to have a humble and contrite heart. And what is your position before God? Is it humble? Are you trembling, trembling before God? There was a professor by the name of Butterfield. And uh, she wrote a, a book about her experience. She was a, she was a lesbian. and She was a professor at a university. She started going to church. She got out of the bed with her lesbian lover, and she'd go to church on Sunday. She tells of her conversion experience. She went every Sunday, even though she was a lesbian, but the word of God changed her life. She kept going. And she says this in her book. We want to establish what is right. We want to be God. We want to judge rather than to be judged. We want to remake reality around our preferences. It's not homosexuality that condemns us. It's the sin behind the sin. That condemns us. In other words, nobody goes to hell for being a homosexual. How do I know that? Because you don't go to heaven for being a heterosexual. You are condemned to hell because of your refusal to submit to what God said. And you have exalted your sinful nature over God's will. So what is the problem? Following Jesus demands that we give up everything, our ideas, our dreams, and even our sexuality. Then why was I born this way? I'm not gonna argue. Maybe you had those feelings since you was a child. We're not gonna argue. You probably did, I agree. So what do you do with it? You have to have a biblical mindset. The Bible says, that every one of us is born into sin. And when you are born into sin, that means your nature is corrupted. And that means your desires are corrupted. That means inside of you, you have desires that are corrupted. And you got to ask yourself, is this desire God-pleasing? Does God approve of this? Or does God not approve of this? You see, nobody has a gay gene. And there's no such thing as a gay orientation in Christianity It's called sin orientation. Sin orientation. In other words, every one of you, your nature is corrupted. And there is sin on the inside of you. And you have the ability to do any sin. So if I'm going to follow Jesus, that means i got to submit those desires to the Lord. That means that I need somebody to help me. I can't do this by myself. That means i got to be truthful about what I'm struggling with. That means i got to change my mindset. Not everybody's against me. There are some people that really love me and just want to tell me the truth. If I really want to follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that I reject how I feel. It doesn't mean that I live in a fantasy world and say, my feelings are not real. You need to acknowledge how you feel. But at the same time, you need to commit yourself to obedience and sacrifice and discipleship. I'm telling you that the gospel offers us hope. Christ died for the homosexual. He died for the murderer. He died for the drug addict. He died for the prostitute. He died for the drunkard. He died for the businessman. He died for the single mom. He died for the college student. He died for the CEO. He died for the president. He died for the professor. He died for the preacher. He died for the church member. He died for the Asian man. He died for the black man, the white man, the Republican, and the Democrat. There is hope for everyone. God demonstrated his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what the scripture says? Some of you were homosexuals, some of you were sodomites, some of you were drunkards, some of you were like that, but now you are cleansed, you are made holy, you're made right before God. Hallelujah. That means the blood of Jesus is stronger than any desire I could ever have on the inside of me. Am I telling you that when you come to this front, your desires will leave? It may never leave. Paul said, Lord, take the thorn from my flesh. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. You may have to struggle with it all of your life, but I promise you he will give you grace to walk through it. If you really want to follow Jesus, there's a commitment to it. Is God being cruel? No, God's being truthful. You're born into sin. Some of you have desires that you would never tell anyone. That doesn't mean you were... You have some sort of orientation. As Christians, we believe it's a sin orientation. And that could take the place of anything could be anything what about my gay friends and loved ones you have people who struggle with this number 1 pray for them number 2 start with the gospel tell them that how much jesus died for them and loved them you start with the gospel don't start with the condemnation you start with the gospel Number three, you don't compromise your faith, but don't argue with them. Quit arguing with people. Quit arguing with people and take somebody out to eat. Some of you are so homophobic, you can't wrap your arms around somebody because you think that gene is gonna jump on you. Pathetic. They're people with hearts and feelings. And the church of Jesus Christ isn't supposed to distance ourselves from them. Let's invite them. Let's make them a part of our family. Let's share the gospel with them. And let's believe that Jesus will change their heart. (laughs) Don't compromise your faith if they ask you. Your belief, you tell them the truth. You don't burn a bridge. Why? Because they need to have a path to come back. Point people to Jesus. Invite people out and invest in people's lives. Lord God, I've went out to eat so much. I know so many people in all these restaurants. I walk in, they all know me. Went to Texas Roadhouse and and somebody by, by the name of... Uh, uh, Joe, she made my baby a blanket. I'd hardly know Joe, but she made my baby a blanket. And most of these people don't even know the Lord and live in all kinds of lifestyle, but you know what I do? I give them good tips, and I tell them about the gospel. I tell them how much I love them. And they're like, what church do you go to? I'm like, well, you know, I go to that church down on 7th Street. Well, you know, I might, I've been struggling in my life. I might show up one time. Let's build a bridge to people. And remember, you can't change people. Some of you think you can change people. I'm going to marry them because I think I can change them. Really? Let me know how that goes for you. Your love should never be based upon whether they agree with you or not. As I close today... Up front, when you're dismissed, I have, we have made a next step bulletin. The next step, I have put books in here to recommend to you to read concerning this subject. And there's also websites. I don't want you to leave today thinking I've left you hanging, but that we want to help you. If you have friends and family that's struggling, I want you to take one of these. These are awesome books with great information. There's some websites that helps people, walks with people. And also we have one of our elders, Elder Randy, would you stand? And Portia. Now, they don't deal specifically in this ministry, all right? They are a part of here at Christ Point. He's an elder, and he, he, they both feel called to help people and to help people who are hurting. This is not their only issue. They deal with other things. Uh, um, could be marriage issues and hang ups they're here to help you but if you are struggling with this area they would like to help you and talk with you and pray with you but this is not the only area that they feel called to he Randy your ministry is called H3O is that right and um, the Lord has given this ministry to him and Portia and they have a small office here and you can contact them and their phone number is on this sheet of paper And you can contact them and they could set up an appointment. If you need help in any area of your life that you feel is broken, they want to come alongside you and help you and pray with you. The other staff members, pastoral staff and elders are here as well. And you could ask us. We will set up an appointment with you to help you, to navigate with you and help you. Amen. God is good. Did you enjoy being in church today?